0: This is Billy Corbett, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The U and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals. Which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control Podcast with my man, Randy
1: Cruz. It seems like we're doing this every week here on the Cruise Control Podcast, reviewing Raw and Smackdown with my guy, Graham Matthews. WWE Featured Columnist for BleacherReport.com He's on Twitter at Russell Rant. Graham, what's up, my man? How you doing? Doing good, Randy. How about yourself? Doing good, uh, doing good, doing good. Can't complain. We're, I think we're, we're about two, two and a half weeks away from SummerSlam. I know you're pretty jacked up about that, right? Absolutely, my man.
0: And I know it was only less than a week ago. It's, it's been a long time no talk. The last time we talked a week ago about SummerSlam, Raw, SmackDown, battleground. The, the card was already shaped up to be special. We're less than a week removed from that podcast, and the, you know the card already has more matches announced for it. And I'm even more amped than I was last week, which I thought was impossible.
1: Exactly, man. I, and I, I know me and you were talking about um, you know NXT Brooklyn. The night before at Barclays, as well as SummerSlam, you told me you were going. But Graham, breaking news, buddy! I will also be at NXT and SummerSlam. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Randy. Woo! That's right. You know, the the, the, the tickets were looking a little type shaky at the beginning, and I waited and I waited, and then, uh, I think a couple of days ago I went online, saw NXT, saw a good section, good price. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> you have to at this
0: point, especially after last week. We did not know officially as of last Wednesday when we last talked, but Chinsu Nakamura versus Samoa Joe is official for the NXT Championship at takeover Brooklyn. So that whole weekend's gonna be stellar.
1: Oh, nice! And, and, and I think Bailey and Oscar for the for the um, NXT Women's Title, right?
0: That's looking official too. I don't know if it's officially been announced, but like 99 percent sure that's gonna happen. Yeah.
1: Hey, man, as long as Nakamura is fighting, I'm good. <laughs> as long as the
0: king of strong styles is there, yeah, you have to experience the entrance live. It is just surreal to say the least.
1: Right. Now, for those who don't, um, um, matter of fact, rewind a little bit, we're here chatting with Graham Matthews, WWE featured columnist for Bleacher Report. He's on Twitter at Russell Rant. Um, for those who don't follow me on Twitter, I'm, on, I'm at Randy J. Cruz. And. Uh, I do this thing called Macho Man Monday, hashtag Macho Man Monday. I'm pretty sure Graham has seen it every every Monday. Um, I have, yep. So for those who are planning to be at NXT and or SummerSlam, if you, if you bring a sign and I'll see it, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it up. I'll post it up. If you, if, you, if you can find me in the arena, I'll take a picture with you. But I think for the first time ever, having a Macho Man Monday sign in Barclays for NXT or SummerSlam would be pretty dope. Right, Graham?
0: Absolutely. I consider doing that. My tickets are literally all the way in the back. <laughs> like I said, time yeah, I might just do it anyway. But just to be there in that building for SummerSlam, Raw, and NXT TakeOver is just going to be an experience, say the least. Because this whole weekend, like I said, it's just going to be amazing.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. Now, um, let's brush through Raw and SmackDown. Um, two, two pretty good shows. A little different here and there, but before we get to the actual shows, I want to get to, um, I guess, you know, of high importance. Um, Daniel Bryan was on a radio show, I think, a few days ago, maybe maybe even yesterday morning, and mentioned in the interview that um, the plan is, maybe not now, but the plan is for him and Shane to bring a second women's championship to SmackDown. He later said on Talking Smack, the post-game show for SmackDown last night, that they also in talks about bringing a second tag team championship to SmackDown. So, Graham, I, I do want to get your thoughts on SmackDown bringing a second women's championship and a second tag team championship to SmackDown.
0: Yeah, I heard about that. I mean, we talked about it at length last week. So, for the people that didn't check it out, check it out right now, the podcast last week, right here in the Cruise Control Podcast. That we talked all about the secondary women's in tag team titles for SmackDown. I mean, at this point, I mean, last week, like I said, I was very much on the fence before, and even still kind of now, I'm still kind of in favor of having the champions appear on both shows. But I feel like people are already complaining as it is of having or rather having Randy and Brock appear on each other's shows. We'll get to that soon enough, but I feel like that's just fine. Um, at this point, to keep the brand split as legitimate as possible, I would keep New Day and Charlotte on Raw. And I guess at this point, it's okay to institute new tag team or new tag team titles for SmackDown a new women's title, because at second glance, as of last night's SmackDown, I'm thinking, like, the tag teams that they have. They have maybe five or six tag teams, if you include the Ascension, Usos, American Alpha, Vaude Villains, the Hype Rose, maybe another team if they add one. The women, they have, like, at least five or six women. If they bring back Victoria or Melina's at the SmackDown, they'll have six or seven. So they have a pretty, like probably the same size as Raw, so at this point, and if they have multiple stories for the women in tag team divisions, which it looks like they do, then I'm totally in favor of it. So it looks like, like you said, soon. Um, but I read somewhere else, and I can't confirm this, but I heard they might be bringing in those belts after Summer SummerSlam, which might be for the best, because we have two weeks until the pay-per-view. And it might be just better to wait until after the event in order to uh, institute those titles for the blue brand.
1: In those tag teams you mentioned, uh, you failed to mention Breeze Angle. <laughs> I mean, listen, if they if they were to bring back a second women's championship and a second tag team championship, I mean, it. I'm all for it at this point, man. Um, you know, it's cool to see, you know, what Brock and Randy are doing and going on each other's shows. I know we'll get to that. But, you know, I think it'll be very hard for the women's champion on Raw. You know, like I mentioned to you last week, if you're the, if you're the champion on Raw for for the women, how does someone on SmackDown become number one contender or be even in contention? I think, you know, eventually, um, I think Danny Bryan was saying that he they did not want to rush bringing out a championship like what what Raw did the night after bringing the the Universal Championship to. So maybe they're gonna try to take their time with it. I, I read somewhere again, this is all rumors, but I read somewhere that. They might be doing that at Backlash um, in September, maybe some kind of tournament or, or whatever it is. I think they'll introduce the tag team belts and the Women's Championship at that pay-per-view. I could be wrong, but I, I like the fact that that they are not rushing it. That they're not just want to compete with Raw and say, well, if they brought out this belt, we're going to bring this belt in. I think making the fans wait just a little bit longer, see who is maybe the clear-cut contenders for the Women's Championship on the SmackDown side. And the same thing for the tag team side um, as opposed to rushing it. I think it's a very smart move by both Daniel and, and Shane.
0: Oh, definitely. Like you said, I think Daniel Bryan took a little shot at the Universal title or at Raw, like you said, and they rushed into creating that championship. But yeah, like I said, after SummerSlam, but in, you know, in line with what you said, a backlash, I'd be totally fine with that. Like you said, in the in the form of a tournament or another Battle Royal, I would hope. Now, more of a tournament, I feel like is more traditional or whatever, but yeah, I feel like at this point, it's almost necessary. I mean, you have enough women, you have enough tag teams, where I feel like it can work, especially for a two-hour show, too. I mean, SmackDown flies by. I mean, Raw does, too, You know, at least in the last two weeks. We'll so have to see how it you know, works out in the weeks ahead. But, yeah, in time for Backlash in September, I think the pay-per-view is literally only maybe two or three weeks after SummerSlam. It's not even a full month, because they know of Champions or a Classic Champions at this point is four weeks after SummerSlam. And I think Backlash is the 11th of September, which is two or three weeks after SummerSlam. So they would have enough time. They don't have to, you know, drag it out for four weeks. So I'd be totally in favor of that.
1: We also had Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton um, each appearing on Raw and SmackDown. Um, before we get to that, you know, I, I just want to say I, I'm pretty sure you are as well. Big fan of Paul Heyman. And everybody can say, well, you know, we've heard the same promo, you know, time after time. and But it just... Maybe Paul Heyman adds a different spin to it every single time, and you know the the whole thing was uh, you know the promo the promos were about bringing Brock Lesnar back, and you know that had a big buzz. And but you know you know he's not he's not gonna say a word, and everything is relied on Paul Heyman. I think Paul Heyman does does a you know remarkable job with his promos every single time he's out there, and then even better on Monday when he was like well. You know Randy Orton is not man enough or not gonna hit an RKO on Brock Lesnar or he won't come in the building whatever he was saying it, it just felt like you watching it's like all right Randy has to pop out some somehow some way we, we can't just say he's not gonna hit an R, uh, an RKO and just end the show like that so Paul Heyman doing great microphone work and I think the cameras were just on point with showing Brock and you can kind of see Brock. Waiting for that moment, like in you know, in his head, like where the hell is his, his Randy at already to, to do the RKO? And by the time he knew, it, he turned around, RKO, bing, bang, boom. He's in the crowd, and that's how Monday Night Raw ended. And I think that was a great way to end the show, just making you feel like, hmm, now I gotta watch SmackDown tomorrow because there's, there's a high chance that Brock Lesnar can show up on SmackDown, and that's exactly what he did.
0: Exactly, yeah. I mean, I thought the ending to Raw was awesome. I thought the overall show was good, but that ending really made the show for me. Uh, the segment itself, the promo itself and Paul Heyman, I think, like you said, it should not go unnoticed that Paul Heyman is, I mean, Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy, like Roman Reigns says. He's just Brock Lesnar. Oh, God. Um, but His presence <laughs> is not complete without Paul Heyman. Right. And I think it was crucial. I mean, WWE should have given him whatever the hell he wanted. I know it wasn't like a matter of, like, I don't want to be here anymore. They just didn't sign a contract in time. They finally got around to doing so in the past week, or maybe even as Monday, as of Monday, who knows. Uh, but he's such a big part of the Brock Lesnar act. He doesn't say anything anyway. Very rarely he does, but he can't go out there and be relied on for a 20-minute talking promo for a talking segment. Cause if he did that on Monday and Paul Newman was not there, it would have been a massive train wreck. So I'm so glad that was not the case. But the RKO line of network, like you said, maybe it was just me being a mark or not paying attention or whatever. That was the last thing I expected to happen on Raw. I was not expecting that at all. I was kind of half paying attention. And then, like you said, the camera angle was perfect. Did you see, did you see Lesnar there. They didn't foreshadow it, like, the tend of view time and time again. They didn't show, like, a side angle of Lesnar. Like, when people get attacked on the stage or coming down the ramp, they'll get that certain camera angle. You're like, okay, now I know someone's coming out to attack this person. They didn't do that at all. Literally, they just got a shot of Brock Lesnar. He turns his head for a split second, and then he gets RKO'd out of nowhere. Like, if they ever, you know, they say that all the time, rko out of nowhere. But there was never one, an rko out of nowhere, we saw it on Monday. Um, so I thought it was great. They retaliated on SmackDown by having Lesnar at 5, Horton out of nowhere. Not really out of nowhere, you're all kind of expecting it. Still, really good stuff. And that's exactly what this feud needed. I think the match has it, you know, alone. The rko match for SummerSlam, which we talked about last week. Um, the battleground stuff I thought was awesome with Jericho and Orton and Jericho, or rather, uh, Miz and Orton last week on SmackDown, but it's exactly what the feud needed to get that extra feeling. Like, what was the story other than, okay, the first time ever, you know, for the most part, in WWE, Lesnar versus Orton, but now they have that extra incentive, the fans do, to want to see them, you know, face off and fight at SummerSlam. Will he hit the RK out of nowhere? Will he beat Brock? Who knows? I mean, I think I have my money on Brock winning, as many people do, but the match should be great so far. It's been really well done. The brand split stuff, oh, a Raw guy appearing on SmackDown and vice versa. It's not that big of a deal, if only because they're only doing it for this feud. There's, there's no other interpromotional matches as it stands right now on the card, so it's completely okay. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was really well executed at the end of Raw. Now I'm dying to see them face off at SummerSlam.
1: Now, the big difference between Orton coming out on Raw and Brock on SmackDown, whether we're Nitpicking or not, I, I to me, I'm a fan of, of how both um, situations happen. But on Monday, you saw Brock's face on the camera, and bam, you saw Randy Orton hit the RKO out of nowhere. On last night, Orton was in a match with Fandango, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you saw Brock Lesnar in the crowd, and then they have a little stare down, and then RKO, um, Randy hits the RKO on Fandango. Brock hits the ring. Was the F5 on, on, on Randy. Um, if I had to ask you which one was better or did the fact that seeing Brock in the crowd first, you know, showing that he was there kind of take away from the moment that of of what Randy's was on Monday where it was more of a surprise element as opposed to what Brock did last night.
0: I thought the raw angle was better, but only by a little bit, just because I understand why they did what they did on SmackDown, because you can kind of tell, obviously, when other reports came out that Lesnar was backstage at SmackDown. You knew what was happening. And then not only that, they, they showed the security around the ring for Orton's match against Fondanga, which I thought was great. I mean, it really wasn't much of a match, but I love the fact they kind of stemmed that from the comments made by Orton at Battleground about Fandango, so that was a nice little tie-in. But um, they showed the security around ringside, so if Orton was, you know, you know uh, recal- yeah. or getting ready for the RKO in the match, and then Lesnar came out of nowhere, then it would have been more predictable. But I feel like the way they did it was even better because you knew that Orton knew that Lesnar was coming. So what they did was that they showed Lesnar in the crowd. Orton sees him, and he was going to get ready. He was going to, you know, fend off the attack. Right. Then he got busy with Bondongo who hit him with an R. He hit him with an RKO. And that distracted Randy long enough for Horton, or rather for Lesnar to take advantage, lay him out with the F5. So I thought the way they did it was great, because it doesn't make Horton look like an idiot for not expecting Lesnar, because he did expect him. He did see him. And the only reason why Lesnar got the better of him was because he got distracted with Fondango for a brief second, and he hit him with an RKO. So I thought the way they did it was awesome. And uh, now it's kind of evening out, not just the SmackDown guys appearing on Raw. They evened it out, and Lesnar is you know, on the blue brand. is a very rare thing, so I thought it was great the way they did it both on Monday and
1: Tuesday. Or they or they could have swerved everybody and had the security around the ring because Fandango might have pulled off the upset. <laughs> they could
0: have. I mean it wouldn't be the first time. Jericho WrestleMania twenty nine. I'm glad oh my he have, God. If that would have been worthless. <laughs> uh, I, I, he could have done that very easily and I'm glad he didn't
1: though. Jericho can't go anywhere without you know, all the stuff that Jericho has done in his Hall of Fame career, that's probably a top three thing that always gets brought up to, hey, man, WrestleMania 29, you lost a Fandango. It's like, I think that's the one loss you don't really want to have on your record, man.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But we can thank that loss for the many great runs he's had since then. Because I feel like at that point when he came back, and this is kind of going off on a sidetrack real quick, but at that point when he came back, he he came back just to not really do anything. I mean, he came back back in 2012 to do the Punk thing. But after that, in 2013, he returned for... Just to kind of for the sake of coming back, just because it was like time for Jericho to return. And by that point, after he lost to Fondango and realized how worthless that was, it then dawned on him like, you know what, probably I should come back when it means something. And the Wyatt feud, the Styles feud, the Ambrose feud, everything else that he's come back for in recent years has been for a purpose. And at that point, it wasn't. so maybe without that match, without having to lose front first to Fondango, he would have continued to make random returns. So maybe it worked out for the better. Who knows?
1: uh real quick real quick on the last point about the, the the Brock and Randy now the fact that usually any feud Brock is in Paul Heyman is carrying the load of the promos and the hype and the whole hype machine and um you know stuff like that now the fact that you kind of see Brock on Smackdown which I, I thought was great for Smackdown it gives him you know the 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 credibility and not make them look like the you know the B show now it looks kind of even having a guy like Brock even just appear for like five minutes. Um, I thought it was great, but now do you think that the feud with Randy for, for the next two weeks will rely heavily on the Paul Heyman promos talking you know in the middle of the ring or the fact that Brock might just be on, on his own for a little bit and you, you just never know if he's going to come back on SmackDown the following week or the week, before, um, the week after that, even Randy Orton coming on, on, on Raw. Uh, on Monday or the Monday before SummerSlam, where do we go? Is it dominated by Paul Heyman with, with, with promos, or is Brock going to be on his own trying to attack Orton for the next two weeks?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know where they go from here. I don't want to say the feud peak too early because we still have another two weeks of, of TV before the show, so I don't know. And this feud has it not worse than all the others, but... Say, like, Balor and Rollins, like, they only have Raw to deal with. Now, Orton and Lesnar are on two separate shows, so they're kind of expected to carry the load on both shows going forward. So they have four shows to further their feud over the next two weeks as opposed to just two. Um, but I would imagine, I don't know when Lesnar is scheduled next. I mean, I think obviously they advertised him for Raw this past week. I don't think he'll be on next week. I think he might be on on the Go Home show before SummerSlam. I might be wrong, and I hope he is. Um, I don't really know for a fact, but I'm sure even on the show that he's not on, I don't want to see Warden making appearances on Raw every single week. I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he does, but I'd rather he didn't I, I would rather just leave it at last night. Um, but if you just keep it Heyman and I mean technically Heyman wasn't drafted to Raw. So if he just goes to SmackDown to encounter Orton, I'm fine with that just because he wasn't a part of the draft so to speak. Right. Well not under contract. So they can kind of explain that away by having him them, having them appear on both shows at this point. Yeah, um, but even point. even if they don't have him on the show or even Lesnar for that matter, they can always do the classic Lesnar sit-down for the past three or four years ever since Lesnar came back at SummerSlam. We've had these great sit-down interviews with Lesnar where he thrives, and he's not a great talker, but when you get him in those pre-team environments, he's just phenomenal. And I know for a fact that if they do those, and I'm pretty sure they will, either the go-home week or next week, the hype of the match with Orton, it's going to be brilliant. So I expect one of those type of things to happen probably on Raw in the next two weeks and then for them to do one final face off either between the two or just Orton and Heyman. Um, but it's going to be exciting to see what they do in the
1: next few weeks before the pay-per-view. We're chatting with Graham Matthews of Bleacher Report here on the Cruise Control Podcast. He's on Twitter at Um What did you think about Monday Night Raw opening up without the same old Stephanie McFoley stuff and Seth Rollins Triple H promos, and we finally get the women's um, champion Sasha Banks and Charlotte on Raw, and then you you know you plug in uh, Chris Jericho, you plug in Enzo. Uh, what did you make of these four opening Monday Night Raw on Monday?
0: Well, I'm a sucker for fun facts, and I would love to know if anyone can do the research when the last time was that we had a women's wrestler kick off the show, or at least the women's champion, even if that. I know obviously AJ Lee probably has in the past. because She was the GM a couple of years ago. But other than that, I cannot tell you the last time the Divas champion. I know they closed her off a few times in the last couple of years, but other than that, they have not had them open the show, which might be arguably even bigger, just because they, you know, they heavily rely on that opening segment to set the tone for the rest of the show. So that said, I was a huge fan of it. Banks and Charlotte had a very good back and forth. The one night stand comment from Sasha, Port Charlotte was hysterical. Um, even, yeah. you know, Charlotte making fun of Enzo, I thought was funny too. And I thought Enzo, you know, speaking room and Jericho too were phenomenal. And they were just not in that match, you know, randomly. They set up some sort of tag team match between Jericho and Owens, which was a dream team, you know, beyond all of our expectations and then versus Enzo and Cass, hopefully at SummerSlam. Um, but even Banks and Charlotte, I thought the match was good. The opening segment was very entertaining. It went for like 20 minutes. So you could argue like, okay, it's the same thing as the authority, but they're just they're going just as long. But I thought it was much more entertaining material, fresh material, fresh faces. You know, even Jericho, we don't typically see him in the opening segment. Right. So I thought we haven't seen that many times in the last year since he came back. So I thought all four people played their parts perfectly. It set up... You know, Banks and Charlotte for SummerSlam, I had no issue. I, I saw a lot of people talking about it. I had no problem with Charlotte beating Banks. Typically, I'm not a fan of the champions taking non-title losses, but it just set the stage for, you know, established the narrative that Banks' victory last week very well might be a fluke victory, and it gives Charlotte her heat and momentum back going back into the paper, you know, going to SummerSlam. So I was fine with that. And it was great. The match was great. So I thought overall it was probably one of the best parts of the show on Monday.
1: So this this will probably set up the Enzo and Kaz against Jericho and Kevin Owens at, at SummerSlam in a tag match. I think that's the, the the direction they're kind of going in right now. And I kept seeing you know tweets on Twitter that you know if if Jericho and KO tag team is going to be Jericho with J E R I K O, which I think is <laughs> I think is whoever did yeah. that I think is smart. I, I, if, if that's the way they're gonna go, I have no. Uh, I think that'll be the best name for that tag team. So that, that does set up that match, hopefully, at SummerSlam. We're going to get Sasha and Charlotte in a rematch for the women's title at SummerSlam. To me, um, Grant, I think, you know, maybe not at SummerSlam. I, I was joking about on Twitter. Like, Just imagine, like, Sasha and Charlotte main eventing a SummerSlam. Or even the fact that now with these brand pay-per-views, I think they have the talent. To main event, you know, one of these raw pay per views, and and that's not taking anything away from the Rollins and the Ballads and and and, Ro- and Reigns on the roster, but I think these two uh, females can ultimately, uh, you know, ultimately steal the show. Hold on, hold on. Look at that phone calls on the podcast, live on the podcast, Graham. Um, <laughs> um like, I think Sasha and Charlotte have the talent to really main event. A, a pay per view for 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 the title. I, I do we see that in in the near future? I, I really do hope so because that'll really you know change the everything upside down. Like these girls can really main event a a pay per view. And like like I was saying before the phone call, like Seth and Balor and Reigns and Rusev and all these guys are on the roster. But I think giving them a chance to see what happens, maybe that the Clash of Champions or something like that. Let Sasha and Charlotte main event, uh, a, a pay-per-view. What do you think about that, and are we close to possibly seeing a, the, the women's title go on last on, on a pay-per-view?
0: Absolutely. I feel like it's only inevitable. I mean, we've known for a while now. I would say as soon you know, as far back as, you know, maybe even further back than the whole Divas Revolution thing, which was a massive failure for a number of reasons, but also success in many different ways. But I'm talking about like when the talents such as Charlotte, Banks, Becky, and Bailey emerged in NXT... Even at that point, we knew that okay, these women are going to main event the pay per view at some point. I think it's baby steps having them close a the Raw is big. It's only happened, like I said earlier, a few times a year. Um, but having them, you know, main event a Raw. I'm not talking about last match before the ending promo or an ending segment or a contract signing. I'm talking about a main event match. And if you had Charlotte and Banks go on last last week, um, which I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the fact that they didn't just because you had the whole thing with Balor. If they closed the show last week, or if that happened this week, it would have most definitely closed the show and would have not have felt out of place whatsoever. Um, So I think it's baby steps. They have the main event in Raw first, and maybe obviously SmackDown 2. That's only inevitable as well. But beyond that, um, I think SummerSlam would be the perfect place to do it. Just this year, we have so many marquee matches with Rollins and Balor, Ambrose Ziggler, Orton, and Brock, Cena Styles, that if you have the women going last, not to say they're not deserving of it, I just don't think it's likely whatsoever. You know, who knows? Maybe they will. I don't know. But they already do the title change of banks winning on Raw, so I doubt it. Um, but that said, though, having them close the Backlash pay per view, a TLC, like I feel like it's only a matter of time. And I will say probably as soon as even October or September that one of these Raw or SmackDown pay per views, especially now with more pay per views and every person on Raw and SmackDown is getting more TV time as a result. And you're not going to have John Cena in every raw pay per view going forward and people like that. Not specifically Cena, but you know what I mean? That I feel like it's only a matter of time before they close out a B level pay per view and hopefully at some point uh, SummerSlam has a SummerSlam esque pay per view. WrestleMania, I think it's possible. I think it's a long shot, but they are deserving. I think they could. You had the women close out this year's WrestleMania, no one would have complained There's the best match in the show, hands down, in my opinion. But um, I definitely see that happening at some point in the near future, definitely.
1: So now that kicked off Raw, um, SmackDown kicked off kind of two ways. When um, you know they're trying to keep the security away from Brock Lesnar appearing on SmackDown, Shane and Daniel talking to Orton, and you know Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon make the um, the Triple Threat Intercontinental Number One Contendership match with Apollo Creed of all people. <laughs> Like I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was, um, yo, Grant, when he said Apollo Creed, I was like, <laughs> I don't know, Grant. I, I, Twitter was just on fire last night when he said that, but we, we all know, we all knew who he meant. Apollo Cruz um, yeah, yeah. against <laughs> Baron Corbin and Callisto. So a triple threat match uh, was gonna be taking place. Um, the winner would be the, the new number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. After that, what really kicked off um, SmackDown was the the promo between Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose. So they're gonna fight at Summerslam for the for the World Championship. Uh, to me, I, it, it was a great promo promo by by, by both guys. Um, Felt real, felt a little off script, especially what, what Dolph was saying. Cause he was saying how he truly felt about him being overlooked and being a, uh, a, a cheerleader a long time ago and how he had to climb from the bottom to, to the top, to you know, where he's at now as opposed to where Dean, he came in with the shield with Seth and Reigns and they were really, you know, kind of put on the map and Dolph had to work his way up more than Dean. Um, I'm... This kind of made me more excited to see that match at SummerSlam because, you know, maybe it adds a, a, a different character to Dolph. Um, I still think he needs to turn heel or have more of an attitude going forward. But you, but you kind of saw that with, with, with Ambrose where Dolph was saying what he truly felt and the crowd was cheering. And then Dean Ambrose was like, you know, maybe you're just not as good as you think you are and walked out. And it kind of like... like you know, are, are we going to a, a face versus face match or are, are one of these guys going to be a little tweener going into SummerSlam?
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, I feel like the best thing they could possibly do is turn Dean Ambrose heel or rather Dolph Ziggler heel. I mean, I'm getting Deans and Dolphs mixed up here, but uh, yeah, I think Dolph Ziggler needs a heel turn more than Ambrose. Ambrose, as I've always said, will thrive in the long term of his career as a heel. I don't think that time is right now because I feel like Ziggler is more need of a heel turn than Ambrose is right now because he's still very much popular. Um, but, yeah, Ziggler needs to go heel just because he's been stagnant for a long-ass time, at least three or four years. I mean, we talked about it last week here in the show, about how I'm so sick of that stupid theme song, show-off crap. Like, the guy needs to ditch that. Mm-hmm. that promo is a step in the right direction. And I like the new subtle changes already in Ziggler's character. Like you said, the, the passion and the fire that he showed in that promo with Ambrose at the start of the show last night, I thought it was awesome. I think they could definitely do that. We see more of that going forward before the pay-per-view. People will either get behind Ziggler or it's going to be, you know, you could tease Ambrose going heel and then flip the switch with Ziggler instead. Like, you do a mini-swerve there. Like, either way, I'm intrigued. But I think that promo has got people talking. Other than the Apollo Creed thing on at the start of the show from Daniel Bryan, I think they talked on Twitter last night throughout all of SmackDown was um, uh, was the Dolph Ziggler promo, and undoubtedly the greatest promo that he's cut in at least four years. And the guy's always been good. He's always been a great wrestler. He's always been a very good talker. And you could see that in his various promos that he does on the WWE YouTube channel and like shit like that. But on TV anyway, he hasn't cut a very passionate, strong promo like that in a long-ass time. It was very well needed. But I feel like that next step is going, you know, or at the very least, as you said, Randy, a changing character because it is very much needed for this show off right now.
1: Now tell me when he said, you know, you know, because I am that damn good, tell me that you didn't think about Triple H Triple saying H? that. Yeah, like, like, I am that <laughs> damn good, uh. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just heard Triple yeah. H. like Maybe Triple H wrote that for him. <laughs> maybe.
0: I mean, I got very bad memories. I had bad flashbacks to when Triple H was saying that every single week an awful feud with Scott Steiner... And burying people
1: left and right from O two to O five, so uh, hopefully we're not going to see the same in the Dolph single I hope those times are fast. <laughs> yeah, I am that damn good. Uh, <laughs> just like it just, I just I I I thought I thought Hunter was out there for a second. Um, guess okay, so, okay, so we go to the triple threat intercontinental contendership match. Apollo Cruz does. Uh, win that match. Um, the Miz gets involved, and uh, you know Callisto does his thing, and Baron Corbin does his thing. Question is: Are we going to see a straight up Apollo Miz match, or do you think that because of what of how it ended last night, with all four just kind of destroying each other, that this might be a fatal four way? Or do you think it should be Apollo versus Miz one on one at SummerSlam?
0: I wouldn't have an issue with it either way. I mean, we did just see a fair four-way at Extreme Rules. I mean, albeit three months ago, but we just did see Miz, Cesaro, Zayn, and Owens. And that match was so exceptional. Oh, yeah, Undoubtedly, right, right. one of the greatest matches of 2016 for the WWE main roster thus far. And it's going to be hard to beat that. But this match could be good either way. Um, I thought Corbin ending the segment was interesting just because, like you said, it's SummerSlam as of right now anyway. It's Miz versus Cruz. So I don't have a problem either way. I would just keep it Cruz and Miz. I feel like the match, not that it would be better. It could be just as good as a fatal four-way, but just keep it with those two right now just because I feel like Corbin and Kalista, that's just kind of shoving all the "quote-unquote" new era guys into one match. And like I said, we already saw Miz in a four-way. We already told that story before. Cruz, the same guy who debuted at TakeOver exactly one year ago over SummerSlam weekend in that same exact building, what a story it would be for him to come full circle by winning his first WWE singles title in that same building, same weekend, against the Miz at SummerSlam. So I feel like it'd be a good match, a great moment. And he should be the one to beat the Miz for the belt um, at, at the pay-per-view. At first, I thought it'd be Shelton Benjamin, but we didn't really hear anything about Benjamin last night, which I thought was weird. But I'm fine with Cruz. I feel like the match should be good. But either way, we've got a lot of potential faces in that title picture with Cody still Corbin. Maybe we do Corbin and Kalisto on the card or on the pre-show, which would be fine. But um, either way, I'm looking forward to seeing
1: how this all plays out. All right, we're going to shift back to Monday Night Raw. Um, Real quick, Rusev defended the U.S. title against Mark Henry. To me, Graham, there was a little part of me that said maybe Mark Henry would win only because I know Rusev just got married with Lana. They want to give him time off, honeymoon or whatever, just enjoy that whole thing. I'm thinking maybe Mark Henry would Win, bring the belt to the Olympics because they, they mentioned he was going to be the ambassador for them uh, in Rio for the Olympics. None of that shit happened. <laughs> so, Rusev is still um, U.S. champion. And then we see, you know, he was talking about no one can beat me or whatever he was talking about. And then, then Reigns music hits. And it looks like we're going to get a Roman Reigns-Rusev match for the U.S. title. I'm assuming SummerSlam. The, 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 the reaction from the crowd was... Maybe I, I'm not sure if I should boo Reigns because I don't like him, or the fact that I don't like Rusev more. I'm gonna cheer for Reigns. Maybe this is a way to get more cheers for Reigns going forward, putting him up against uh, Rusev. Um, what do you think of this dynamic, and is it part of you saying like, well, you know, Reigns is falling off that 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 ladder right now and being quote unquote demoted to the U.S. title, and I say quote unquote because John Cena was U.S. champion last year, and I didn't look at that as a, a, a demotion, and he put that 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 belt back in the map. So can Reigns do that ex- uh, same exact thing that John Cena did, and do you like the fact that Rusev and Reigns are on this uh, sort of collision course for SummerSlam?
0: Yeah, I think it might be more of a combination of both, maybe a demotion for Reigns. I mean, anything anything below the World Championship is a demotion for Reigns just because... If you think about it, he's been involved in the world title picture for just about the past year and a half now, ever since he came back from injury at the start of 2015. I mean, even when he was speeding with Wyatt, that was still like a top-tier program, and he still had a sight set in the long haul on the world championship. So, yeah, it's kind of a demotion for him, but at the same time, I think it's a big plus for the U.S. title. because, Like you said, that U.S. title saw its best days ever in this company around the waist of John Cena last year. And he had great matches, and it was the best the John Cena character had ever been. He's still pretty great. He still evolved quite a bit from that U.S. title reign from last year. Um, I don't hate the feud. I'm not like, I don't know, because obviously a lot of people were hoping for myself included. And this it, this is just pure selfishness, but I think we're all hoping for Kurt Angle. Although I know it was not likely. Yeah, it's it just everything from what Rusev was saying. It sounded like it would be Kurt Angle, like, oh, I'm an Olympian. You know, I'm the greatest U.S. champion of all time. I'm what? I'm, I'm an American hero. Blah blah blah. It was like, that's like the perfect fantasy booking scenario to insert Kurt Angle. Obviously, that did not happen. We got Roman Reigns instead. And, you know, Samoa is a part of the U.S. I guess he is our American hero. Roman Reigns is apparently in this feud. But the matches have always been good between Reigns and Rusev. They've never feuded before, but they've had no less than half a dozen matches over the years. And they've always been good. I just, I don't know. I just feel like a lot like with Rusev's first reign that someone... I mean, it obviously worked out better for Cena, but I, I just feel like someone like a Cesaro or a Sami Zayn would better benefit from beating Rusev. Like, Rusev's beat so many people, Cesaro, Zack Ryder, Kalisto, Titus O'Neil, that whoever beats a Mark Henry, whoever beats them, it should be a big deal. And it would be a big deal if, Reigns won Z- if he wins the Z- US title at SummerSlam, but I feel like... He doesn't need it, though. though, though. Like, like, I just feel like Cesaro or Zane would be a much better competition if he would go crazy at SummerSlam. because It's going to be interesting because people like maybe Reigns more than Rusev, but I would rather cheer for Rusev, but I wouldn't hate seeing Reigns from the championship. So I don't really know how to feel like when we're at SummerSlam in a few weeks. Like, who am I going to cheer for? So it's a really weird dynamic, but at least it's a fresh feud. We're not seeing Reigns versus Rollins for the millionth time or Reigns versus Wyatt again at least it's something new and I can appreciate that much.
1: So do people really hate Reigns that much that they're going to go to SummerSlam in Brooklyn and cheer for Rusev?
0: Honestly, I think that could be the case. I mean, I know Rusev not really so much on TV, but he's a a funny-ass character. Like, even on Twitter, the guy's a riot. So, especially in Brooklyn, too. I mean, maybe anywhere else I could see, like, okay, they'll cheer for Reigns over Rusev, but... Honestly, and it, it sounds weird to be saying like, are they going to be cheering the, uh, the 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 evil foreigner as U.S. champion? But I think they honestly will. I mean, I think that I think Rusev will probably get on Brooklyn's good side even more than Roman Reigns. I guess we'll see, but I'm not exactly sure.
1: Real quick, I I think the fans will will cheer Rusev. Right? And, and I tell you this: if you th- if you think back. When the time when everybody knew Reigns was going to win the Royal Rumble in 2015, right? And, oh, yep, yep, And the fact that Rusev was just chilling on the outside, still uh-huh. still in the match, and he came in, and everybody thought Reigns had won. And he came in, and the crowd just cheered, thinking like, oh, wow, no, Rusev is about to win this shit. And the crowd went crazy, because that, that was in Philly. And if, if the Philly crowd can act like that, and cheer for Rusev against Reigns in that little... One minute moment. Just imagine in Brooklyn where you're having a full match for the for the U.S. title, and I, I, I'm telling you now, Graham, don't be shocked that people cheer Rusev all day, all night against Roman Reigns. I, I, I it, it, it's just, the, it, it's just the way it, it, you know, it's gonna be. And you know, Brooklyn did it last year. they they, they, they cheer for the bad guys. That that's how New York is. But. Um, I think it's a very interesting dynamic that no matter who you put Reigns up against and try to get some, some cheers, the fans are just going to be like, nah, man, we're, we're, we're behind Rusev now.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's why I don't think I'll be surprised if Rusev gets cheered even more so than Reigns. And like you said, I completely forgot about the whole Rumble thing. There were one and two in the Rumble this year. I remember a couple of years ago, they were the final two in some battle royal to determine who would enter that world championship ladder match and the bank, but these two have history together, and like I said, they've always worked well together too, but yeah, I feel like the dynamic, even more so the match itself, or even the prospect of Reigns winning the U.S. title, is going to be more interesting, like I'm more excited to see how that plays out more than anything else, just to see how Brooklyn responds to Reigns, but... Unless your name is John Cena, and even then, I feel like if we had Reigns and Cena in Summer so much, I know we talked about many months ago, I thought was the plan for the paper, even thankfully, if not, or at least not right now. Um, I feel like at this point, Cena's getting more cheers from, you know, fans like us, the IWC, hardcore fans, whatever you want to call us, but he's getting more cheers from those kind of fans, from the, from the adults, than Reigns is right now. The guy just needs to go heal, and this company is just so stubborn, they won't do it.
1: Yeah. Uh, should be very interesting to see which way they go at, at SummerSlam. Um, gonna breeze through a couple of these. Uh, American Alpha debut last night. What did you think?
0: Great debut, short and sweet match against the vaude villains. Uh, these guys are stars. The Sky is blue. That's not saying anything new. I mean, these guys are just awesome. I think anyone who saw them next knows that for a fact. And uh, David Otunga saying that they're future tag team champions is again like saying that. Like, brass is green, just because these guys are so great, and they will be champions hopefully sooner rather than later, so a uh, very good debut from those guys.
1: All right. Uh, what do you make of what's going on with the New Day and Gallows and Anderson? Uh, are we are we hitting the end, the end of the road for New Day as being tag team champions?
0: I think so. I could very well see the club winning the belts at SummerSlam. I would have no issue if New Day retained at SummerSlam. Um, But I feel like the club, they're a hot act. People like them. I mean, they're a heel group, but, I mean, they're a great group. They're a great tag team. They have awesome chemistry. And if there's any team other than Enzo and Cass to take the titles from the Raw brand anyway, other than American Alpha, to take the titles off of New Day, it's these two guys. I thought the whole furthering of, of the feud on Raw was a bit weird to have them lose in, like, literally, like, a minute. And then attack them afterwards, which was good to get their heat back. But then why have them lose in a minute, like, what threat will they be at SummerSlam if they go for the title? So I thought the, I thought the booking was weird, but I'd be completely in favor of them winning the championships at SummerSlam and then maybe Balor go heel. And then, I mean, people have been pitching this for days, but you have Balor go heel and do you, the Bullet Club or the Balor Club with Gallows Anderson and Balor and heels and Rollins baby face, all champions for the Balor Club. But stuff like that would be cool. I don't know how likely it is, but I would love to see something along those lines at SummerSlam.
1: All right. I'm actually going to, you know, include a Twitter question um, since we're on the subject of Gallows and Anderson. Um, at Scarlet One, are Gallows and Anderson able to stand out on their own, Graham?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, these guys are really, really charismatic. They're good talkers. They're better talkers than AJ Styles. I mean, you know, Styles is really coming to his own as a talker in WWE. But if you just listen to their promos, their backstage videos on the YouTube channel, these guys are Hilariously entertaining, and they're great in the ring. They stood out on their own in New Japan even before the Bullet Club joined forces um, over in that company. So they will definitely be able to stand on their own. Yep, on Raw.
1: All right. Uh, Let me see what else I got here. Okay, um, the AJ Styles, John Cena promo, which I thought was was great. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these two guys are going to go to SummerSlam and tear it up. And, you know, AJ was like, you know, uh, you... John, you, you you telling me that the new era has to go through you, but I beat you at Money in the Bank. Why are you still here? And, you know, he was making fun of the whole Tennessee crowd, and maybe that's a little shot at, at, at TNA. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, John Cena with the, you know, the the typical John Cena, good guy, white meat baby face promo. And I, I love it here. It's my home. It's my passion and all that good stuff. Um, what did you make about the promo? and? Are we going to see the same result at SummerSlam with, with Styles winning against John Cena?
0: I agree. Great problem. These guys have such awesome chemistry together on the mic and the ring, as we saw Money in the Bank in the Battleground and tag team match. I think the rematch for SummerSlam is only inevitable, and I'm glad it is. Um, it's a big match. It's a huge addition to the SummerSlam card. This feud has been going on since Memorial Day, almost three months ago. So I'm glad they've been progressing it very slowly and nicely. Um, In regards to the results, I mean, I would not be, I'm not going to say if Cena wins, we riot. Like, that's just stupid at this point. Because Styles will be fine either way. Right. Um, I won't be pissed if Cena wins. But, obviously, I want Styles to win just because, and I know we've probably talked about this before, but who can say, not many people, I'm sure there's probably one or two, I know CM Punk has, not many people can say they've beaten Cena at back-to-back pay-per-views. Punk did it, I think, might have been the last person to do it. A couple of years ago, when he beat him at Money in the Bank, obviously clean, not really clean. Then did the same thing via shenanigans at uh, at SummerSlam the following month. Styles beat him via interference in the Bullet Club at Money in the Bank, which people it was, it was a split decision finish. There were some fans who were like, "Oh, why would you well, why would you have him beat him dirty? Why not just beat him clean?" The guy's a heel; it wasn't a big deal, and it would make even more sense in retrospect for that, that finish to happen if they had Styles win via interference at Money in the Bank only to be Cena clean at SummerSlam. Will that happen? I don't think so. I want it to. Um, I, I think the chances of it happening are very slim, but as people have been saying, if it's truly a new era, and you're going to have Roman Reigns get beat clean on Raw by Finn Balor and his debut main event on Raw, then why can't the same happen for Cena? I mean, you have a top star in Styles, who so will be fine, win, lose, or draw at the pay-per-view, but if they really want to cement Styles as a top star in that show, which he will be either way, but... I feel like a clean win over Cena will send the right message that if you feed with Cena, the end goal, the end result is not you not getting buried, but losing, like Owens did when he lost back to back matches against John Cena. And Cena already technically got his win over Styles at battleground in the six man tag team match, so he he has an out for losing again at SummerSlam, which I'm truly hoping happens.
1: Now, as a fan, does it bother you or take away the fact that we've seen this match at Money in the Bank, and maybe if they would have held this off until. SummerSlam, there would be more of a, oh man, I can't, wait, I can't wait to see this match, or the fact that you saw it already kind of takes the, the buzz out of the room for seeing this match?
0: I could see that being the case of some people, and I, don't, I won't disagree with them there, but I will say the way that it's progressed over the three months, I mean, let's say they started the feud at the same time. When Cena came back on the Memorial Day Raw, and they waited until this pay-per-view to do their first one-on-one match. I don't know how they would have waited off. Unless they put them both in the Money in the Bank ladder match or something at that pay-per-view, then I could probably see them you know, holding off their initial singles encounter for SummerSlam. But I don't think it's a big deal just because it's great storytelling. Because if you think about it, it all started with Styles being jealous of Cena. And then he beats him Money in the Bank with help of the club. And then Cena helps, you know, with the help of Enzo and Katz conquers the club at Battleground. The club has gone. Now it's back to the original roots of the rivalry with Styles and Cena. Now, Styles truly needs to prove that he can beat Cena on his own. So the storytelling has been great. I would have, yeah, sure, it would have been cool to wait until this pay-per-view, but I feel like people would have gotten sick of it, like, oh, why aren't they doing it now, whatever. But um, I don't really have a problem with it. And I could see also in some cases why people would be saying, they need a stip. I don't think they need a stipulation. Their chemistry is that great. The team's been so good. It might not need a stipulation. I'm sure this won't be the last time they face off anyway, either whether it be in the near future or down the line. Um, but, I mean, it's a four-hour show. Why not do, like, a 20-minute Ironman match or a last-man-standing match? I would be fine with that, and they always have time to add a stip to this match before the show. But um, either way, they're going to you know burn the house, and they're going to tear the roof off the Barclays Center come August 21st, regardless.
1: We're chatting with Graham Matthews, WWE feature columnist for Bleacher Report here on the Cruise Control Podcast, reviewing Raw and SmackDown week two of the the new era. Um Graham, are you all in on Eva Marie? Because I should as uh, hell am.
0: <laughs> Eva Marie, uh you know what I will say this. You know where some people were saying like what the hell was up with the mash, it was stupid. I will say I liked it. Just because me what we too. saw on SmackDown last night with the match with Becky not really come to fruition, because whatever keeps her out of the ring is completely fine with me. The girl is an awful wrestler, but she has other things going for her. She's insanely hot, and she's got a great entrance to the whole narrator thing, which I thought was so over the top ridiculous, it was wonderful. Uh-huh. That works for her. So if we just get, I mean, I don't know how long this will last, but, you know, faking a knee injury, like that, that type of step will get her the right type of heat. And when the day comes, she does have to work a match with Becky. Becky can carry most of that. I don't know how good the match will be, but at least Becky can carry most of the contest. But um, I'm not sold on her. I don't think she's great. I don't think at all she should be the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. But I think so far, so good in terms of how he has been using her.
1: Oh, yeah. I, you know, for now, for the time being, I, I'm all in on the character um, that, mm-hmm. she, that, that, that she's portraying. Um, we all agree that the intro is is, is fire. Um, it just it just it just reeks of like, yo, this, who who the hell does she think he uh, she is? And it's like she's just arrogant and she walks she takes the time, the narration in the promo, and then when she gets in the ring, <laughs> she fakes the an injury and it's like, nah, man, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna I'm I'm not giving you a match tonight. You you're gonna have to wait just a little bit longer. And, and I, I thought I thought it was I thought it was great. I loved it. And you know, Maybe people thought she really hurt herself. I I don't think so. And the way they played it off um, was great. So, I mean, we'll we'll see how that character develops into an actual match for her. But for right now, she she, she has crazy heat. Nobody likes her, which is which is what which is what you want as a heel. She does you know heelish things, heelish entrance, faking injuries. It's like it's like Edge from back in the days. I love it. And um, if you know if she if she's gonna fight Becky or be in any contention for a title, I think like you said, she has to get better in the ring before she, you know she does all that. Definitely, I mean,
0: I feel like at that point. I, like I said, I would wait to do the match with Becky until she gets better in the ring. I don't know how that will happen if she can't. She has to have a few trial matches first, and she's not as bad as people remember as from, like, two or three years ago. Then again, she's not She's not even good at this point, but she did improve in NXT for whatever the hell that's for. She did get somewhat better, which is not saying much, because she was, you know, uh, just bottom line atrocious before. There was really no beating how bad she was, you know, earlier on in her career, but... Um, I think it's all right. Like you said, so far, so good in terms of uh, I'm sold on the character. As a wrestler, she's obviously got a lot of work to do. I don't know if she'll ever get to the point where she, where she will be good. She's been around for three years, and she's still not at that level. At this point, I would just say she will never be at that level, but you got to applaud this company for making good use out of her. I mean, they're using every woman they can. They brought back Naomi. They called up Carmella. They called up Alexa. They brought back Eva. They're utilizing every woman they can get for this women's division of both brands. Because, you know, the, the division is great. They have a lot of talented women. They just don't have a lot of depth between the two brands when you split it in half. So I'm glad they're doing, you know, they're making good use of Eva in, you know, smart ways like this. I didn't think it was smart to do two women's matches one night than neither, have neither match start. Like, having Natalia and Carmella not start in the same way that Eva and Becky didn't was the kind of That was a little annoying. But other than that, I thought the Eva and Becky stuff was uh, effective for what it
1: was. Just a quick sidetrack, Grant. Right? I, I, I want to see where your, your your thoughts are at. If I ask you right now on a spot, if I say give me three, you may not give me three. You just give me one or two. But I say give me three of your, your favorite female women's champions of all time or women's wrestlers of all time. Which three are you going with?
0: Favorite women's wrestlers of all time. Um... That's tough. I mean, obviously, you could say Trish, Lita. I mean, they'd probably be up there. I mean, I loved AJ, but she was probably the closest thing we had to a women's wrestler in, like, the modern era, other than Nikki James. That's even going back a while. So, I mean, I love girls like Maurice and Eva, but they weren't really wrestlers for the most part, and that's just in recent years. Mm. So, I'll just go with, like, when you say women's wrestlers, I think of girls like Lita and Trish. And so I'll say them and Mickey James too. She was great. Beth was also highly underutilized in the, com- in the time that she was with the company. Uh, she was very good. And AJ Lee as well.
1: Yeah, last night I, I wrote, you know, I-, I got some feedback too. I was like, well, Mickey James, Lita, and people thought I was jumping the gun. But I, I-, I said, first of all, I, I was. I, I like Trish Stratus. I was never a big fan of hers. Um, not not saying she's not great because, you know, she's a Hall of Famer and everything. But for me, watching, I guess it's more about the character. So the character of Mickey James, you know, uh, you know, made me like her more. Uh, you know, Lita, she, to me, she was doing all those high-flying moves with the Hardys and everything. I was like, holy shit, who is this? And that, you know, attracted me to her. And t- for, for, I think right now, like... Like I was saying, not jumping the gun, but I would say Sasha Banks because I, I just like, I love her character. And I know maybe that that's pre, premature to say, but not taking away from those who have been, you know, in wrestling longer and have and have had longer careers. But I think when it's all said and done, uh, there may not be any reason not to put Sasha Banks in, in, in anybody's top three or top five. So I was writing Sasha, Mickey James. And, and Lita and people were like, you know, that's too early. But I agree with Mickey James. I think Mickey James gets a little forgotten about or a little underrated because mm-hmm. she was in that era with, with Lita and Trish and Jacqueline and, and, and all those females. So it just, but if I really hope people don't forget about Mickey or underrate her because I thought she was phenomenal.
0: No, yeah, that's a good list. Mickey was really, really good. And like you said, it's all about, I mean, all those women were great wrestlers, but when Mickey had over someone like Alita, or rather a Trish, who had her own character evolution, but Mickey evolved as a character over the five or six years that she was with the company, going from a crazy stalker in the program with Trish, probably one of, if not the greatest program that the women ever did in the last 10 years easily uh, before, you know, after the time that Trish and Lita retired, but... That was great in her multiple reigns as women's champion. And even, like you said, she kind of gets, gets tied into two separate eras in that era that Lita and Trish, right before they kind of, you know, put their boots away, hung up their boots for good. And then more so in the recent era, too, where women's wrestling, they were having, like, two-minute matches, and she was facing Jillian Hall every weekend raw in, like, a minute match. That didn't mean anything. So, and she wasn't really able to showcase her skills. But if you're including the current women, too, I would absolutely put Sasha Banks on the list. And for me, my favorite women's wrestler of all time, I mean, like I said, I love women like Lita and even like more recent divas. They're not really women's wrestlers like Maurice and Eva, or Eva, not Eva, sorry, not Eva, but rather Eve Torres uh, for various reasons. But of all time, for me, it's got to be Bailey. And she's not even on the main roster yet, but just the way that her own character evolution has has come along in the last few years, the match that she had with Sasha, which I was there for, TakeOver last year, the single greatest match I've ever seen live, the moment of her winning and her character, everything about her, I just absolutely adore. So she leads my list in terms of my favorite women. Not, not the same list as greatest women, favorite and best are two very different things. But mm. my personal list, I would definitely include, as you said, a Mickey, a Lita, a Sasha, as well as uh, Bailey in recent years.
1: Sasha, Bailey, WrestleMania 33. What do you think?
0: Hashtag book it is all <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, man. I think, well, I would love to see that. And it will be interesting to see if, if that was to happen. If Sasha is on the same pace as being a a, a good babyface. Because I think if, if she's going to fight Bailey, then somehow they're going to make her turn turn heel on her. So, um, anyway, I'm going to wrap it up real quick. Um, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, they had their promo. They're going to fight for the new Universal Championship of SummerSlam. Um... Pretty good promo back and forth. Seth looked really, you know, you know, whatever. He looked very um like he maybe getting tired of Finn Balor already, the, the the promotion he's been getting. And I think Finn Balor held his own in the ring and did a decent job on the microphone. To me, to me uh Graham, I think what stands out is two weeks in a row we see regular Finn Balor in, in a leather jacket. It's like maybe um, some people just like, well, as long as Finn Balor is on Raw, we're good. But I think not having him in the whole demon makeup getup does take away from the character. And like, if he's in that makeup, he don't gotta say a word. But now he's regular dude. Maybe he feels forced to, you know, say you know promo uh, words in, in the ring. What do you make about the promo from Monday? And is not having him in the whole demon makeup taken away from his character. Well, as far as the promo,
0: went, I thought it was really good, Rollins himself has come a long ways to talk in the past few years. Balor, I would say all of his strengths from his look to his in-ring ability, his biggest weakness is that he can't talk that great. But I thought the promo on Monday was straightforward. It was strong. It was passionate. It was exactly what it needed to be to hype up their first ever encounter at SummerSlam. In terms of the demon stuff, I'm completely content with him not doing the demon stuff on Raw, because this is exactly what he did in NXT, in that he would dress up as the demon for takeovers, and then only be himself, like jacket and like the Balor Club-esque Finn Balor on Raw and episodes of NXT TV, and then bring out the demon for when it matters most. Because I feel like if you bring out the demon every weekend on Raw, it's going to get old very quickly. Like someone like Brock Lesnar only comes around once in a while, and he's one of the most he has some of the most mystique of anyone else in the roster right now because he's not in every single show. And I feel like that's what you have with Finn Balor and that he's not the Demon every week. But when you bring it out for special events like a pay-per-view or even just the big four, like a WrestleMania, I wouldn't go that far. I'd be fine at every pay-per-view. But um, once it comes out and we're going to be there, brother, for SummerSlam when the Demon makes his entrance to the Barclays Center one year removed from when he beat you know, Kevin Owens in the main event of TakeOver the night prior to SummerSlam last year, right? it's going to be surreal. Like I said earlier, to kind of go for a circle, it's going to be surreal to be in attendance for that experience, for that entrance. So I'm totally fine with them waiting until that pay-per-view. I thought it was weird they didn't mention it. I will say that. They didn't mention the Demon. So it might be weird for casual fans to see the Demon when it wasn't really alluded to on recent episodes of Iran. Maybe they'll get to it. We have two weeks left, but... Uh, I'm totally fine with them waiting until SummerSlam to bring out
1: the Demon. Oh, yeah, I get I You know, that that entrance, that whole persona is, is very crucial and vital to the character. Maybe maybe if he would have debuted with it last week and then be regular this week, next week, and the following, and then bring it out for SummerSlam, maybe. But, I, you know, maybe he should have been in the whole get-up on the Raw debut. But, listen, I, I don't I don't work for them. I don't make the decisions. But they feel like you know, he's going to be over by the time SummerSlam gets here, which I think he is already. But by the time SummerSlam and make the people wait to see this character, then I guess they're on the right track. But for me as a fan, I I would have liked to see them do it last week and then chill until SummerSlam just to let the, you know, because most people who watch Raw may not watch NXT and may not really know who this guy is or like try to understand the character. So trying to get a balance of both your, the, the Nxt fan base plus the other casual fans on a Monday night try to appeal. Like if they see him in, in this getup, a, a casual fan may be like, "Wow, who is this? He looks very interesting. I want to see who this, you know, who this guy is and how he wrestles." But if they see a regular guy in, in a, a, a leather jacket, it may not be as appealing. Um, so, anyway, man, I think I think they're gonna tear the house down. At SummerSlam, uh, will be interesting to see which way they go. If they go full, you know, Finn Balor mode at SummerSlam, um, I think I think it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be great. But if Seth Rollins walks out of there as the new Universal Champion, then you know maybe him and Finn can continue can can continue their rivalry going forward. But um, last one I got for you, Graham, Before I go to some few uh, Twitter questions. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, Bray Wyatt. Uh, it was a match that the winner will go on to face Dean Ambrose for the title was well, SummerSlam. Uh, Dolph Ziggler put his opportunity up against Bray. The Bray interfered in the beginning after the promo with Dolph and Dean. Um, pretty good match. I, I, you know, for for a solid second, I'm like maybe they changing their minds. Maybe maybe they'll just add Bray Wyatt to make it a triple threat. But they're keeping it at Dolph against Dean Ambrose one on one. Uh, what did you make of the match and what did you make about them keeping they, they sticking to their decision to keep Dolph and Dean for SummerSlam?
0: Yeah, I thought the match was good. I agree. I thought for there was a hot minute there where I thought, wow, they might actually put Wyatt in the match with near falls, and a Urnagi. it was incredible. Like no one feels the better than Dolph Ziggler. Um, I thought it was a really good match and even more so than anything else in the overall big picture, and I mentioned this on Twitter last night or in my review of the show or whatever. That it just amazes me that this match would have been nothing more than a mid card match on Raw like two weeks ago, but they made it into a compelling main event for SmackDown. It did not feel like a mid card match, given what was on the line, how much Ziggler has already feel more you know, has already felt more important in the last week, and then even Bray Wyatt felt like a top tar, a, a top tier star on SmackDown in the past week in main eventing, you know, back to back installments of the show. So I thought the match was good. Um, I have no problem with them keeping Ambrose and Ziggler. Know, babyface versus babyface for now, keeping the singles match. Wyatt, I don't know what you do with him. Um, I like the straightforward, simple storytelling with Eric Rowan coming out, helping out Wyatt, them closing the show, seeing and setting up a tag team match for next week. With what's left of the Wyatt family versus Ziggler and Ambrose, I like that. Um, so maybe someone pitched to me on Twitter, you could do American Alpha versus the Wyatt family at, at the pay-per-view. I feel like that might be too soon. They only have two weeks to go towards it. I, I don't, maybe you just keep Wyatt off the, off the pay-per-view altogether. I know he wasn't at WrestleMania, but I don't know if there's an obvious dance partner for Wyatt right now. And I'd rather not insert him in the main event of, not the main event, but this title picture at SummerSlam. Maybe a backlash to a triple-girl with Wyatt. I'd be fine with that, too. But uh, getting back to my original point, I thought the match was good. I thought Wyatt's inclusion in this little angle is fine because he could be the heel for right now in this baby face and baby base, too. Because who knows? Maybe Ziggler turns on Ambrose or vice versa, and next week's what seems to be a tag team match, like I said. So either way, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out in the next couple weeks. And I thought everything they did at the end of SmackDown last night effectively set up SummerSlam as well as next week's SmackDown.
1: All right, Graham, two Twitter questions and we are out of here. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this this guy's question. Um, Did you get a chance to see SmackDown's Talking Smack post show? And if you did... What did you think about it?
0: I did not. I was wondering what people were saying. about. I know you mentioned the women's title thing. I only really, really heard about that through the grapevine for Twitter. I did not sit down and watch the show. Um, I don't typically watch the 40 and post shows in the networks. They so feel like more often than not they're pretty useless. But if I hear enough good things about it, then I'll definitely sit down and watch it one of these days.
1: Well, you know what? I, I, I was watching it before we went on the air. And and that's where I knew that he kind of mentioned about having new tag team champions, uh, championship belts for SmackDown. But saying that not maybe not now, but that's what he's talking about with, with Shane because they had American Alpha uh, on the show. And also on the show, it was like something very interesting for you to go back and check it out. It was like during the John Cena promo, he felt like he... I don't know. He he said he felt kind of a, a a little offended. I don't know whether this is you know a shoot or just you know whatever that he felt offended by what Cena was saying to AJ, saying that AJ, you know, if he doesn't make it here, he can go wrestle anywhere in the world. But me, I just want to wrestle for the WWE. And then why he would say that, I I don't know. But he did say that on the SmackDown post game talking Smack. So, um, go check it out. But he did say that. He was uh, take, taken aback by what Cena said about AJ can wrestle anywhere, and, but me, I just want to be here. Yeah,
0: interesting comments. I didn't hear them word for word, but I did, someone, I did see someone talk about it on Twitter. I could definitely see, not even how it's taken out of context, but um, it, it, his comments were interesting. Like I said, as we talked about earlier, the promo was really good from Cena, but him saying that, you know, AJ, you're only here to be a good wrestler and you can go elsewhere... Uh, nowhere else. I, I don't want to be anywhere else but the WWE. And he right that the WWE is the be-all, end-all of wrestling in terms of you can't get any higher than and then the WWE. But it's not the only place where you can make money, make a living. I mean, this is a whole other conversation for another day. Um, I don't know if I was offended by what she said. I'm not a wrestler then again, so I, I can't really say. But um, the comments were interesting. So I'll have to go out of my way to see what Brian said in the talking smash from what you and other people have said about it.
1: Last one, Graham. Is Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor more likely to be a passionate masterpiece or a self-indulgent indie main event?
0: I think it's going to be more of the former. I think we might get a little bit of both, but I don't think in this company you're going to get an indie main event like a Will Osprey versus Ricochet match. Because even when we do have, like, oh my God, like two of the biggest indie stars of all time, like if it's AJ Styles and Kevin Ellens, they've had some great matches this year in Bronze Smackdown. None of their matches feel like, oh my God, a spot fest and all this other kind of shit. It feels like, it, and they adhere, there truly is a WWE style. And it can tell a great story while also having a great match. Rollins and Cena had an awesome match last year at SummerSlam, a great wrestling match, but also a very good storytelling match, too. Owens and Zane is a prime example of a match like, oh my god, it's gonna be an indie masterpiece. Yeah, or an indie, you know, an indie spot test. And maybe I guess kind of it was, but at the same time it was one of the beautiful one, one of the most beautifully constructed contests that was in all year in this company. NXT, main roster, whatever. Um, it was an amazing match both from an entering standpoint and a storytelling standpoint. So and I couldn't tell you the last time like when I think indie like, oh my god, like what's us shit. I think of ladder matches, like the ladder match that we saw at WrestleMania was more about moves and spot fest and shit like that as it was, as opposed to telling a story. Other than that, in this company, we rarely get that type of match. And I'm sure Rollins and Balor will go out there and have a five-star classic, or at least close to it, from an in in-ring standpoint. We should also get a masterpiece as well. They might even save their best for later on down the line, so who knows. But I think it's very rare that we get a match that's like purely... You know, uh, you know, really appealing to an IWC guy or whatever, something
1: like that. All right, so Graham, we, we've had uh, two weeks of new era Raw and SmackDown. If you had to say who's winning, is it two overall, two o SmackDown, one and one, or what do you think? I
0: mean, like we said last week, Raw won last week by a landslide. This week, I think it might be, I think it might be more debatable. Raw was a good show overall, obviously not as Better, you know, obviously not as good as last week, but that's not really saying much just because that Raw was probably, not probably, but was the greatest episode of Raw all year and arguably in in many years. Um, This show was good for Monday night. SmackDown, I thought, was a vast improvement over last Tuesday. So, all things considered, I might go with SmackDown this week as the show of the week. I'd have to, you know, review Raw, like, look back at what happened again. But I feel like there was a lot more filler on Raw and matches I didn't really care that much about as opposed to SmackDown where everything really seemed to serve a purpose in one form or another. So I um, think it's pretty even right now. And like we talked about last week, I think SmackDown is more of a, a long-term project and bringing back former faces, bringing in new talent and stuff like that. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not a marathon, it's a sprint for SmackDown, I think is the best way to describe it in terms of, you know, or you know, the other way around or whatever the old phrase is. I guess for SmackDown that's going to be, you know, long term they're going to be equal to RAW. Maybe not right now in terms of star power, but long term they definitely will be. They have all the puzzle pieces in place. All the building blocks are there for the fantastic foundation of the future for SmackDown. So I think right now it's pretty even. But in terms of who won the war this week, I might lean towards SmackDown. Who knows? I think it's very you know subjective depending on who you talk to.
1: Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report. Always a pleasure, my man. It, it, it looks like we're doing this every every week. So. Um that is something cool for me to, for me and you to be doing, bro.
0: Definitely, dude. It's always a blast to be doing it weekly, especially right now, as great as the wrestling world is, even beyond WWE. I'm as excited as ever to be breaking down the world of wrestling every single week. So uh, whenever you have me on, whenever you give me a call, I'm ready to go.
1: All I all, all all I need next is a, a sponsor, Graham. That's the only thing I'm missing—a nice sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so we all need, my man. We all need a good sponsor. Yeah, man. Uh, Graham Matthews at Russell uh, Bleacher Report columnist for the WWE. Uh, Graham, if you want to let them know about your show, where they can find you on Twitter, and where they can read your work at, my man.
0: Well, as you said, Randy, like you said, I'm on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. I'm on Facebook, all that type of stuff. Bleacher Report, Hidden and uh, What Culture. I'm also writing for Sports to now I'm writing my own website, Next to Wrestling, where I write reviews of Raw, SmackDown, pretty much everything we talked about today. pay per NXT, everything else in the outside world of wrestling. This is all on the website. I host WrestleRant Radio now on Thursday, starting tomorrow. Or starting a couple of weeks ago, but the episode is up tomorrow. wrestling.net. And that's pretty much everything of importance. So, again, Randy, thanks again for having me on. I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: All right, Graham. Thank you. I appreciate it. And next week, bro. Sounds good, dude. I'll catch you then. See you down the road, dude. All right, man.